You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Al? Doing great, Dave. How you doing, man? Good. Good. Thanks for coming on here. I, I always, I remember when I first heard about you guys, I, it was hard to pronounce the name. Like, do you find that a lot of people struggle with, is Bahio, is that correct, the pronunciation? Yep, Bahio, um, the J is pronounced as an H. And we knew when we named the company that, you know, a lot of people, especially from my part of the world in the South, are going to have a hard time pronouncing it. But yeah. um, it was so perfect for the world that we love and want to uh, be a part of and help. So, um, and it was a beautiful old Mexican name. So we, uh, we went with it and said, hey, maybe it'll generate some conversation. And it certainly has. Yeah, it has. And, and it, it means it's basically flats, right? That's the definition. Yeah, it's the shallows. So it could be like the saltwater marshes in Charleston. It could be the bayous in, uh, in New Orleans and uh, Louisiana. It could be the saltwater flats like you think of with the Bahamas and stuff like that. But it's, it's basically like from an ecological standpoint, it's the area that's it's really close to land. It's shallow and it's like an estuary, you know, where all the the young fish grow up and so really important for the future of the oceans. And it's probably under the most the most pressure because it's right next to land. And so all the nonsense that goes on on land just dumps right onto the flats and to the shore. And it's very commercial, right? So you got beaches and you got tourism, you got all these things going on that makes it hard even harder to protect them, you know, but that's the area we love. And, uh, so that's why we named it that. Yeah, that's amazing. And we've had a number of episodes, you know, focusing on conservation from, you know, that part of the world, especially because yeah, it's just like you're talking, there's a lot of issues and, you know, there's a lot of struggles. I think that's something I know you're focused on, you know, improving, you know, some of that, but, uh, and you're in there. So now are you in, are you in Florida? Is that where you actually live? Yeah, we live in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, which is a cool, cool little town. We love it. Um, we're actually making a little film about it right now because it's our hometown. But it's really unique. It's on the east coast of Florida, south of Daytona, and it's surfing is as big as fishing is here. Oh, wow. And so you've got at the north end where you have uh, Ponce Inlet. It's uh, an inlet that comes from the Indian River out into the ocean. And there's a killer surf break there. So it's probably the best on the East Coast, the most consistent. And so the surf community here is huge. And then at the south end of New Smyrna, you've got Mesquite Lagoon, which is super famous for 
fly fishing for redfish. So, you know, when the surf's up, the kids are out surfing. <laughs> when it's not, they're out fishing. So it's really a fun environment to be in. And, you know, you see the kids with their bikes and they've got a surfboard rack and then they've got a fly fishing. Uh, oh, that's cool. Conditional rack. And so they're just tooling around doing it all. And it's really fun. That's cool. And, and are you both, are you into surfing too? You know, I have done some surfing. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a surfer. I wouldn't qualify. <laughs> right. I get out on my paddleboard and surf on the paddleboard. Um, but as far as like short boards and stuff, I don't know. I didn't grow up doing that. And so it's hard for an old dude to learn new tricks, right? I know. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's the thing. I've done a little surfing. I got a board at the garage, but it collects a lot of dust <laughs> most of the year. Um, this is great. So in Europe, in part of this world, you know, we've done a lot of episodes around through there, but the, you know, that part of the world isn't as busy. And this is kind of just fly fishing too, right? A lot of the trout is still dominates and stuff. So we do a lot of episodes there, but I love getting into this because I think, you know, there's so many opportunities, so many species that we haven't got into. And we'll talk about that today. Um, let's take it back real quick. Uh, before we jump in, I want to talk about Bahio and how you transferred from, you know, Costa and you kind of built that empire at Costa and helped you part of that whole process. And now starting a new company, I want to hear what that was like for you, but, um, but take us back to fly fishing real quick. How, how did, what was the first memory of fly fishing? How'd you get into this? You know, I came to fly fishing probably a little bit later, maybe when I was 40 or something like that. Uh, so maybe 25 years, 20, 25 years ago. And, um, you know, I'd always fished as a kid, you know, we do, I was from the South. And so we'd go down to the beach and, and fish with conventional and fish for bass and everything else. But fly fishing was like a dream, you know? And when I saw Flip Pallet's uh, show about uh, Walker Bay Chronicles, that was like spoke to me, you know, it was, I was like, this is my destiny, man. I've got to do this. And I remember the first time that, um, you know, that I went out and I was just hoping that it was going to live up to the expectations and it freaking did. And I was <laughs> like, wow, this is just as cool as I was, thought it was going to be. And I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. And that was on, was your first experience on, on a flat? Were you on the flats? Actually, my very first experience was on the Deschutes in mm. Oregon up near Brent. Yeah. And, um, I got a fly rod and uh, had some friends and I said, man, I, I, you know, I want to go out and, and learn how to fly fish. And so they took me out on the Deschutes and I caught a fish my first time out, which was really great and, uh, kept me hooked. And then it became much more, much more about saltwater, but you know, back and forth, I mean, I spent a ton of time in Bozeman later on moved to Bozeman and then, um, you know, a lot of time in, in park city, my friend, Chris Fisher, had a cabin um, on uh, the river there, and and we would go out and fish there quite a bit. So it was it was a nice mix between, you know, the fresh and the salt uh, from the very beginning. Yeah, and now with Bahio, do you find like your customer typically, or do you have a a large mix? I mean, what is your focus when you think of your kind of your target customer for Bahio? Do you think of it as more salt, fresh, just all outdoor stuff? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, we we really position the brand as you know the shallows and so saltwater fly fishing um is you know probably at the core and then you know young people as as well the youth that's a big part of our brand and and who we're all about so it was kind of like the you know the gen y gen z's who are you know on the flats but they're also 
inshore, offshore, they're kind of doing, doing everything. But our focus, you know, is definitely, you know, that's where it started. And then other parts of the fishing community just sort of demanded that we speak to them as well. So the bass community, we've gotten huge in. The offshore salt community, the inshore salt community, um, all of those have have reached out and we've embraced them. And, you know, we try to keep everything, you know, I like to keep the story organic and keep it, um, you know, just kind of connected and tight where it makes sense. And so if you think about, you know, why would Bahio, which is positioned as an inshore, you know, saltwater brand, be speaking to offshore people? Well, I ask them, where do you get your bait? You know, and they get their bait in the shallows and, and what happens when the shallows are not healthy? And they're like, well, we've got no goggle eyes and we've, you know, got no ballyhoo. And um, so it's in everybody's interest, you know, to, to uh, protect, you know, the nursery where the young people in the future are. And for fishing, you know, it's important for us to think about young people and they're the future of our sport as well. You know, and, and I think they get neglected lots of times. You know, I see a lot of people in the fly industry where they want to keep it this exclusive club and mm. to be old, rich, white dudes who yeah, right. want to do that. And they want to keep everything really expensive and exclusive. And yeah, and yeah you know, you don't want to blow up people's spots and stuff like that. But we have to all, I think, have a portion, at least a portion of what we're doing dedicated to the health of the community and that means bringing in fresh blood fresh life with young people women people of different races whatever you know we got to keep that river flowing today's episode is sponsored by togan's fly shop who provides superior quality products at an affordable price an amazing resource for fly tying materials tools and fishing accessories since 2005 togan's has been over delivering on price service and passion and now you can check out that Togans buzz for yourself. Right now you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans to get started. That's T-O-G-E-N-S. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Togans online. I love that. It's awesome. And I think the, the old rich white guy yeah, is slowly, slowly going away, you know. But uh, And we had that, you know, we, we had a recent episode with Dick uh, Seguir and, uh, from TFO. He's a rep there. He was talking about the history. Like, he was talking about the history of how when TFO came in, you know, Lefty Cray was a big person that helped get TFO on the map. And he there was a big backlash from a lot of the big brands, the big rod companies. I think, you know, what he said was like, you know, they didn't think it was good that this low, less expensive, great rod was out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there, there's some of that that's been going on, but I, I really feel like, yeah, like you said, as things change and the demographic changes, it's just people are embracing diversity because it's like, it's, it's, you know, where we should all be. So this is amazing. Well, and I always think, you know, like you said it, the niches, I always think of this quote that I just, I've say it a lot, but the riches are in the niches, which is kind of a funny quote, but you know, you start niche down like from a brand, right. And you just nail that. And then you slowly, then you expand out right into bigger brands. But Costa is one of those things we've worked with Costa before. They're a great company. You were there. Talk about that. Like how, what was your connection to Costa and then why, and then what was the transition like as you moved into Bahio to start a new company? Yeah, I mean, I was with Costa, not from day one, but early on. We were a little $6 million Florida brand when I joined. And I took over marketing, and but was responsible for the brand and 
pretty much all the strategy work for all aspects of the company. Uh, so, you know, there were like two or three of us who really built Costa from, you know, 6 million to, you know, close to 200 million over time. And, you know, the brand that I wanted to build when I went there was one that, you know, I, I loved Patagonia and yeah. Yvonne Chouinard was my idol. And I wanted to build a brand that was purpose-driven, mission-driven, that sort of blended cause and commerce together. And, um, you know, at the time, that was probably early 2000s, there weren't a, a ton of those brands around, but it's something that I really felt strongly that I wanted to do and set about to do it and was really successful with it. I mean, it called, the Costa brand became kind of a cult. We were named one of the top 10 cult brands in North America mm-hmm. at one time. And they, they had this big deal up in Canada that was like the cult gathering. And it was, <laughs> and there were huge brands, you know, like Converse and, you know, even Airbnb was there and all these big brands. And then there was us, little, little Costa. But all the research showed that the consumers were super loyal to the brand. And we had built this following and we built it around, you know, treating people right and great customer service and, you know, giving back and making the world a better place. And that's what that whole brand was built around. Um, and it was very personal. You know, I, I felt like I was Costa and Costa was me and the brand totally reflected who I was. And so, and I mean, we had blood, sweat and tears, man. You work on something yeah. for 15 or 20 years and build it. And then when it got sold to oh, right. a giant European company, uh, it was really clear to me that those days were over and and it was we were going to just be a product in their portfolio and so i you know so i left and i went to work at sims and um was uh you know was asked to come there and they'd kind of been recruiting me for a while and i just was happy at coast and didn't want to go but at that point i decided to go and it's like, okay, well, we want you to turn Sims into the Costa of the Walt. <laughs> but it was a private equity deal, and they actually did did not once I got out there. So we had a great couple of years in Bozeman, but it was just not going to be a fit, um, not something that was really going to stimulate me. And so I left and then went to a little company called Hook out of Charleston, did some consulting for a while, then went to Hook, same kind of deal, private equity you know, they were not really interested in conservation or anything like that. So I left there after just a year. And then my wife and I sat down. I said, babe, this is not working. You know, I what we built at Costa was fantastic. That's going away because of money. Sims is not happening because of money. Hook didn't happen because of money. Um, the only way that we can sort of live our vision, our personal vision and our mission is if we have our own company and she was like, Oh, you know, that's, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, how are we going to do that? We don't have any money, you know, cause we, right. we didn't have any money. And about that time COVID hit. And so we had time in our house in Charleston just to sort of kind of dream board it and, you know, vision thing and just envision this brand uh, and envision Bahio. And then, um, you know, I met a guy who knew how to raise money and I'd made a bunch of friends over the last 15 or 20 years and had done a lot for a lot of people. And, and they kind of came out of the woodwork and, 
you know, took out their checkbooks and invested. And uh, hmm. so we've got you know, we've got about 30 investors who are all like, you know, there's no institutional money. It's all just friends and fishing yep. people. And so we were off, off and running and, you know, Bahio is, it's, we're in our third year now and we did four raises and raised about $12 million and um, wow. it's doing great. So it, uh, you know, our, our purpose is to use this company as an economic engine to drive all the work that we want to do, whether it's conservation or bringing young people in, you know, all the things we're passionate about. But you have to have a successful company to generate the funds right. to do that. And a startup, you know, by nature is small. And, um, yep. you know, that's sort of the, not the struggle really, but it is kind of a struggle. Is like we want to do more than we can do at this point, but we actually are doing a lot. And uh, But balancing those two things, you know, is part of the trick. But we're, we're doing great. And I'm so happy that we made that move. Yeah, that was really cool. That's an awesome story. And I love uh you know, Yvonne, whenever Patagonia comes up, it's always a good thing because, you know, you look at what he's done, um, you know, and recently, right, given away, you know, the company essentially to the earth, to the environment, right? This is this thing. And in three years, that's what's cool about what you have going because it definitely seems like from my perspective, you guys have been out there for a lot longer than three years. And I yeah. think that's a testament to, you know, what you're doing out there. So this is this is really cool. Um, and COVID again, like back to the COVID, right? It seems like for all the bad of COVID, it was one of those periods that checked everybody like, okay, what do we want to do with our lives? And that's what sounds like you had that opportunity um, to jump in. Yeah, COVID baby. Yeah, COVID, exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about the glasses, just so people who don't know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of glasses out there. You mentioned Canada. I know I've talked to people that say like Maui gyms or the Canadian glasses and stuff like this, but and there's all these different glasses out there. Talk about what you have going on your lineup. Like if somebody was going to buy a pair of glasses, are your glasses good for everything? Are they good for fresh water? Like, what do you recommend? Like if somebody wants to look at this, where do they start? Yeah, well, I think the lens is the place to start. And, you know, if you're going to use sunglasses as a tool, then it's an optical tool and you need to, and what it's meant to do is help you fish better, right? So that you want to be able, in, in the type of fishing we do, and in most kind of fishing, you want to be able to see the fish in the water. And the sooner you see the fish, the better a shot you have at catching it. And, you know, you also want to protect your eyes and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is being able to see uh, what you're casting to much better. Um, and so there have been, you know, some work done on that. Uh, you know, when we were at Coastal, we created the 580 lens, and that was really the first color-enhancing lens that blocked yellow light and sort of made things, um, you know, less busy and more clear, made some of the colors pop. And then, you know, Smith came out with Chromapop, and they – you know, basically copied it, even though there was a patent on mm. 580, people got really close. Oakley came out with the lens. Maui Jim came out with the lens. Uh, so there were, there were some copycats out there, but it was the Costa 580. It was sort of the top of the heap. But there wasn't really a lot of development that was done. I mean, that one was selling extremely well. Uh, basically, you had two or three colors. You know, you had the green and the blue and the silver. And... Um, you know, I mean, I was very involved in product development um, at Costa, and there just wasn't a lot of R&D being done on what's the next generation of, of lens. And so when I started Bahio, I was like, wow, there's a lot more 
you know, that we can do to take this to the next level. And where we landed um, as the biggest opportunity was with blocking blue light. And, you know, you see a lot of people wearing blue light glasses that are clear now that, you know, when they're on computer screens, you know, they, they block the blue light. And blue light, I think the gamers are probably some of the first ones that discovered it. You know, it, it screws up with your melatonin production, and so you don't sleep well. And so wearing, blocking that blue light, and one benefit is it helps you sleep well. When we, but when we put it in sunglasses, and nobody had really done that before, all of a sudden everything got really clear because blue blur got wiped out. And the higher we dialed it up, the more clear things got. So when people put our glasses on, the first thing they notice is, wow, these are super clear, man. This is crazy. Um, and clear is just beautiful. Clear is better, you know? Yeah. But then underneath that, we, you know, lenses are built, not to get too technical on this stuff. Yeah, no, go for it. Kind of built in a stack of different layers. And so the selection of each layer, the combination of layers creates different visual effects. So if you want to see, if you're in a flat situation, you want to see super deep down in the water, then, you know, we created the pink and the purple, which have a red base to them. And it's demonstrable. I mean, we put them on the guides down in the flats and, they freak out, you know, hmm. on how good they are. Um, and, you know, if, if it's super bright conditions, you know, you need a darker lens and, you know, the, the layers need to be a little bit different to get the right contrast. So we really tried to create a whole line of glasses that were good for any type of uh, fishing conditions and that, um, you know, really dialed up and improved upon the ability to to see. And I, and I think we were successful in you know, that's that's kind of the core when picking sunglasses is that lens. What would be an all around like if you're well, there probably isn't all around, but if you're let's say you're in freshwater and you know you want a, gla- a pair of glasses just for your typical Montana trout trip, what, what do you recommend? Do you have a bunch of different lenses for that? Yeah, you know I think the silver mirror is good for that. Just sort of an all purpose. It's right in the middle in terms of light transmission, which is how much light it lets in, and then it has a copper base. So it has a lot of red in it. It's not super red. So it's a really good all-purpose and I think probably the best trout lens that we have. Um, The pink and the purple are low-light lenses, uh, and so those work really great out west. One attribute is that when you look through the pink lens uh, and the sun is reflecting off the water, if without sunglasses, that reflection is white. And with our pink lens, it sometimes is, has a pink tint to it, and sometimes that freaks people out, um, but it doesn't really enhance, it doesn't hurt the performance of it, and you get over that pretty quickly. So for me personally, the pink is my go-to. I wear pink all the time. Uh, we, okay. We call it rose. Uh, it just has the best contrast, the clarity. It's really amazing. Nice, nice, nice pink. Okay, good. So, um, and yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of tech, you know, and other stuff we're not going to cover here today as far as on your lineup, but, um, but, but I guess one thing from the old, the older guys, the, the readers, do you guys do that where you have kind of the bifocals or whatever blended in? Do you, do you have that style? Yeah, we've got bifocals and, you know, for us, because we make everything here, any frame with any type of lens, we, we cut it here so we can do, do anything the other brands that have the readers, it's, it's limited to just a few styles. 
but literally any style that we have, you can get readers in or prescription, you know, whatever type of lens you need, we can make it here. Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They've been designing and manufacturing fly fishing equipment and flies since 1978 in their home base in Wyoming. In 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and started selling gear directly online to anglers all over the country. You can go ahead and right now and check out their huge selection of uh, rods, reels, fly lines, tools, accessories. Uh, and right now, if you go to jhflyco.com swing, you can get 25% off your first order. Just like Amazon, they'll ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. But unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great fly shop and this podcast by simply grabbing a few uh, products, maybe just a couple of flies. Check it out. There we go. Get free shipping right now. All orders over $50 and uh, get that 25% off your first order. jhflyco.com slash swing. Okay. Back to the show. All right. And we'll send everybody, like we said, uh, bahiosunglasses.com if they have questions or want to look at that. Um, you know, I was kind of curious just as far as, you know, your like perfect day on the water. It sounds like the flats, you know, are that, but what, how would you describe that? You know, you you want to go on, you got your next trip coming up. What, what would be that perfect day? Is it a permit trip or what, what, what does that look like? Yeah. You know, if, if, if it had to be the perfect day, we are definitely on a saltwater flat. Um, couple of different places come to mind, but, you know, and I don't know, the magic time for me is just first thing in the morning. So you go out usually on a panga and, you know, there's, especially the, like the first day, there's that excitement and, you know, you're trying to decompress from, you know, what's been going on at work or whatever. And you get in the boat and you just, I'm usually with Marguerite and we just, you know, go out onto the flat and you, and it's super early in the morning and you just see like the whole world waking up and you see the birds coming in and they're feeding. You see the, the bait and the other fish just popping and rolling everywhere. And it's just like calm and it's just freaking incredible. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that first hour or two is just magic. And then when you see a permit tailing in that environment, Right. I mean, it does not get any better than that. It's freaking incredible. God, that is cool. And some of your first trips out there, were you out there? I know I heard some stuff. I think you might have been working with Oliver White. I think he was with Costa at the time. But did you have a lot of guided experiences or did you do a lot of DIY, you know, through your, your journey in fly fishing? Yeah, I think um, I did both. But, uh, you know, Oliver and I have been friends for a really long time. And um, I was at Abaco Lodge when he started that. Oh, wow. The first week that he opened, he invited me down and, hmm. um, you know, we had Yvonne there and, and all that Pirates of the Flats TV show crew. They were filming their first episode there. And um, so he and I, we did Indie Fly together and, uh, you know, the whole Arapaima Rewise stuff we did together. And so we've been, you know, and Beth and Oliver and, and Marguerite and I have traveled the world together. But Oliver... I think he got me, he was with me when I got my first bonefish, my first permit, which I got before he got his first permit, but, <laughs> um, and my first tarpon. So wow. he was kind of there for my first on uh, all those species. And it was uh, it was kind of a <laughs> show early on, but I've gotten to be a yep. bonefly fisherman since then. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he said to me one time, 
you know, it's like, look, don't get frustrated about not being the best caster out here. He said, the only people you ever fish with are guides. And um, if you think about it, and those guys are freaking pros. So you're not going to be as good as them. And no, not for a long time. And uh, that definitely helped uh, calm me down a little bit and be less anxious about all of it. Yeah, yeah. I hear it. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Oliver's awesome. And he's out yeah, now. I think he's still, he's out West, right? He's got the lodge out on the snake now, which yeah. is a pretty amazing area too. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel, man. He's yeah. the guy to the stars. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Kim, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy's a, a fly fishing fanatic too, right? Yeah. Huge. I mean, he bought freaking lodge out there. Right. Right. He bought the lodge. Yeah. That's cool. I love the stories with that and Oliver. It's, it's, well, it's kind of a, I mean, it started out as a sad story, right? Because I think there was the, the lodge got destroyed and I can't remember what hurricane that was, but that's kind of what got Oliver going, right? Or moving. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Abaco got just decimated by a hurricane and so they had to shut it down. And, um, I don't know the exact timing, like what came, but you know, Oliver's always looking at, at new opportunities and, uh, so he had, you know, he had managers running Abaco and you know, Andros, and uh, so he didn't have to spend like a ton of time there and could do other other things. But yeah, he um, ended up sharing, you know, selling his interest, I think, to Nervous Waters, and that mm. got him fully out of there. Right, right. This is great. Well, that's another uh, story. We're going to have Oliver back on here, I think, again too soon. But um, talk about conservation a little bit. I want to dig into that and hear where your focus is now, you know, with Bahio and just yourself personally. I know we talked about Yvonne is a hard, uh, you know, standard to start to th- live up to or get, you know, at that level. But how do you think of conservation? Where are you guys putting your efforts these days? Well, I'm, um, you know, primarily on the flats. But, um, you know, I, my focus really is on the next generation of anglers and getting them involved in, in fishing and in fly fishing specifically. And then, you know, using that as sort of the gateway into understanding the world and from a conservation standpoint, but also, you know, from a community standpoint, the people who, you know, live and you know, whose homes we actually fish in, whether it's, you know, Mexico or Honduras or any other place. Um, and, you know, there's, um, I don't know, there's still a lot of like colonialism is alive and well. And, you know, these foreign owners come in and they, and they put a lodge in and lodges are great. I fish at them all the time. They're, they're awesome, but they'll put in a lodge, hire the local people and, um, you know, keep all the profits and the locals, you know, get a nice job, but they don't really have any ownership. And so, you know, trying to combat that whole mentality, I think it's something that millennials and Gen Z's are really tuned into, especially, you know, with the advent of the internet and the ability to, you know, sort of connect with people that you couldn't connect with before. Um, But, you know, using fly fishing to help them understand that indigenous people are, you know, they're people just like us. They're not our servants. They're not there, you know, to take care of us. Uh, they've got their own lives and they need to have respect. And that's part of why we started IndieFly uh, was to help indigenous people own these fishing operations that could really transform their lives. So with Rewa and, and, uh, and Guyana, uh, the tribe owns the lodge. We don't own the lodge. 
And that's critically important to the success. And so anyway, getting, you know, young people to connect with people from other cultures, it also opens their minds. It lets them be not as, you know, American centric and uh, be more world citizens. So that traveling to fish is really important. Um, and, uh, you know, once you start fishing, you are a conservationist and, yeah, you know, you know that if you want to keep doing it, you better take care of the habitat and the the people surrounding it and the fish and everything else. Uh, so still using adventure and fishing as the gateway into conservation, I think is, is our approach. But um, I think that, as we mentioned before, the idea of getting young people into the sport is not something that the big guys are stepping up to. Um, if you look at all the big companies within the fly fishing industry uh, and you know, specifically there's not really any kind of youth recruitment right. movement going on. That is interesting because you would think that, and everybody I think talks about that, right? You know, because that's the next generation. But so why would that be? Why would the big companies do you think not want to be trying to focus more efforts on the young because the money's not there as much? I, you know, I think that's part of it. I think it's just a lot of short sightedness, you know, and it is almost like an exclusive club in a lot of ways. I mean, if you think about the fly shops. And then they make money off of booking trips. Well, who's going to go on a trip? Who can afford to go on a five or 10,000 a week trip? Well, it's people who are wealthy and those people tend to be older. And then the guides themselves, you know, they don't want a bunch of young DIYers coming down and, you know, screwing up. They want like river that's, you know, or flats that are just, you know, deserted, you know, that they're selfish about it. Yeah. And then the equipment companies, like you mentioned, you know, there's a couple that are coming out with lower priced equipment. But I mean, geez, there's a lot of super expensive stuff that you have to buy if you want to go go do it. Um, so it, it's kind of like it's just all built around, you know, commerce and making money and you make money off the people who have the money. But the danger is, I mean, if you look at Orvis, you know, and I love Simon, awesome guy, um, and he's trying to change some of this. But, you know, they've got an older consumer that they've had for, for a long time. And Sims is the same way. Uh, Trout Unlimited, you know, that they're, all their members are pretty old. Um, and But it's kind of like Buick, you know. It, at one time, they were in the sweet spot of, of age probably, and then – have just kind of grown with their customers and gotten older and not really tried to speak to that younger uh, next generation. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Buick definitely isn't your, you don't see too many young kids. I was just at a, you know, in traffic today and, and some kid pulled up at a, a Subaru, you know, it was loud. He had some, you know, whatever the muffler, right. It was just this loud. It was obviously a young kid. I was in my truck and he, you know, wanted to race. Right. Sort of thing. It was, I was, got me thinking like, Hey, that's, that's the generation, right? That's the thing that I'm, you know, and I remember that when I was that age, it's yeah. like a different period of your life. Um, so how do you guys do that? I mean, the tip, right? Again, we're, we're going to give some tips for businesses, but when you think of that, how do you engage with those younger, you know, the younger generation? What, what you know, how, what's the success been for you guys? Well, you know, I think part of it is, you know, the people that, um, you know, when we first started, we, uh, got a photographer, uh, a kid named Knox, who was actually uh, 
when we were on a photo shoot, he was finishing up his last final exam at University of Texas. Hmm. Uh, and then Maris was our videographer. She just graduated a couple months before that. Um, and then our crew, you know, uh, Heather, who has Fish for Change, and Jesse, who has X Flats, and Elon, um, you know, who does all his stuff, and Kayla. Yeah, they're all young, and Piper. So we, yeah. you know, we had them as our crew. And so just showing up and, and looking and feeling young, and then talking to the values that, you know, young people have around inclusion and conservation and all those sorts of things. I think it just naturally began to attract that younger consumer. But uh, but we do have, um, we're getting ready to launch an app that mm. really addresses this whole issue. And I expect it to be a little bit controversial with some people, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's the right thing to do. And I'm pretty excited about it. But the app is called the HEO Trails. And so we're building fishing trails. They're basically DIY fishing. And um, the first one will be the Yucatan Peninsula. And then we'll do some in the United States. We'll do other international trails. Uh, it's a long-term project. But it's a way for young people to scrape together the money for a plane ticket, uh, show up, and then be pointed to little places where they can DIY fish and locals in the community that'll help them and cheap places to stay cheap places to eat but just kind of like a low-cost diy road trip uh get exposed to fishing and then make it you know not just fishing but also conservation stuff so hey one day you can go fish another day you can go help plant mangrove trees or coral reefs or whatever Uh, so we're putting all that on an app it's kind of like a, a travel app but I don't think there's ever been one done like this for fishing and, you know, make it uh, put it on the bucket list for kids. You know, I know my son, when he graduated from college, we bought him a backpack and a URL pass and he went to Europe and backpacked around Europe. Well, I'd love for people who love to fish to have the opportunity to pick these trails and uh, go fish those and hike those. So that's going to be our, our main initiative going forward. And, you know, long term, we hope to build these trails all over the world. Wow. That, that sounds like a very cool app. I think that is, you know, the DIY thing we hear, I hear a lot about that from our listeners too. And we have a little travel program and we've been trying to focus on trips that are reasonable. You know, like we're trying to, just because we know there's a lot of people out there that can't afford $8,000, $7,000 for a trip. So we've been trying to do stuff mostly in, you know, North America to get people out. But I love this DIY thing because it's going to give people an opportunity to actually do it themselves. Um, and, and like, so this is a great next step. Now tell us again, when is this going to launch? Do you have a date yet? Yeah, I think we're going to launch it at, um, confluence in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Good deal. Yeah. And we've got, uh, well, a couple of shout outs. Uh, we had um, Matt Schilling on episode 342 and he talked about Indie Fly. That was a great episode. So if people want to dig in deeper and then, um, and I think we have uh, after, I think Lucas Bicet, right, is coming mm-hmm. up to talk about their program too as well. Um, this is good. Okay. So you have some new things. What, what about with the glasses? Anything new coming for on the glasses you want to give a shout out to as far as products, lines coming in the next you know year? Yeah. In the next few months, you know, we'll launch a new line of sunglasses. So we try to do a few styles a year and, um, you know, but, you know, 
some brands have like so many styles that you just don't even know where to start. So we're, we try to keep our line pretty tight and pretty small and, um, you know, cover all the bases, have something for everybody, but, um, you know, not go crazy. So we, I guess we'll launch them, you know, early next year is usually when we introduce them, but yeah, we've got some cool, cool styles. You know, the, the younger folks like to, they're not as tuned into like the eight base wrap stuff. You know, they kind of like cool looking glasses and they fish and stuff that, you know, we might've thought of as, a, of as lifestyle before. So we're trying to blend the lifestyle with the sun protection that you get from more of a wrap type of glass. And so we'll be coming out with a couple of new styles in that vein uh, next year. Gotcha. That is interesting because I think my style, you know, and, and I'm a little bit older, so I do like the wrap style typically. I, maybe I'm just used to it. But how do you do that with the other styles that are more, yeah, they're flatter. It seems like they don't, as you corner your eyes, you're, you do see light. How do you guys make that glass uh, perform as well as a wrap? Well, we built, we call it a sun ledge, and it's kind of like an internal, you don't really see it as much from the outside, but because um, it's kind of set back, but it's on the top and on the sides, and it's just a piece of the frame that comes out almost like a side shield to give you more protection. So that's probably the main way. And then just the way that you build it, you know, you can optimize optimize that. And we do six base, which is not a four base would be really flat and a eight base would be really curved and a six base is in between. So we still have some curve to them, which helps. But, um, but yeah, that sun ledge is something we developed that really works well. Yeah. What would be a model of one of your glasses that have that sun ledge? Um, like Caballo, which is okay. the one I wear and Chalem uh, would be another one. And then some of the more female-leaning uh, frames like uh, Paella and Pareso uh, would have that. So, um, yeah, pretty much all of our six bases. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Maverick Fly Fishing specializes in ultralight gear to take your tight line game to the next level. Euro nymphing was always a big struggle for me until I met up with Jeff on his home water. We had a half a day fishing with the Maverick gear and it got me fully dialed in. Maverick only sells direct to anglers, keeping prices low and providing the best personal service. You're going to have to check in with Jeff right now and let him get you lined out on the water and improving your experience before you know it. You should also check out their new high performance MVX rod, an extra sensitive laser accurate neuro nymph rod that weighs only 2.8 ounces. You mix this in with their ultralight stinger reel and you've got the lightest rod on the market right now and right now you can get 20 percent off your next order if you head over to maverickflyfishing.com and use the coupon code maverickwfs20 on your next order that's m-a-v-r-k-w-f-s-20 and uh, we'll have a link for this in the show notes as well you can check in with jeff and get your euro game dialed in right now and get on the water and get into fishing you support this podcast and Maverick Fly Fishing right now by clicking through that link. Okay, back to the show. We talked a little bit about the the DIY, you know, that whole thing. You've done a little DIYing where you have a couple of tips for some people out there that maybe they're going to get your app. It's coming out soon. They've got this thing. Is the app going to do everything for them or would you have any other tips you would give somebody? Say they're, let's say they're going to the Yucatan or somewhere, you know, they're flying in and they're going to DIY it. What do you tell that person? Um, yeah, so what, what we have done to, 
to help them is sort of like lightly guided in some ways. So we have a we'll have a person in each town and we on the Yucatan Trail there's I think there's 22 or 24 uh, towns. And these aren't like Ascension Bay or Ishkalak or these famous places. These are places nobody's ever heard of. And so we have a person there that's sort of the host of that little town. And so they're going to know like, hey, this beach over here, this is a good spot. You know, we're not going to put those spots on the app because we don't want to you know, sort of blow them up. But we get them in the zone and then you know, the host can either be, you know, more experienced fishing person or lots of times it's their kid. It's a kid, you know, who's probably the same age and they maybe aspire to get into guiding, but there's no slots available. So they can pay them 20 bucks and they'll show you the good spots to go to. Um, when it comes to selecting like what flies to use and then how to work the flies, you know, that's a, a little bit more difficult, but I think that's stuff that they can learn online, you know, they can learn from friends, um, you know, those techniques, but you know, how to catch tarpon on the beach. Uh, right. That would be cool. And stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's, I don't know when I was a kid and, you know, I hate to get into like, yeah, when I was a kid, but, um, <laughs> right. But I don't know, my, our parents were a lot less responsible. And so we were able to go out and explore. I mean, when I was a kid, I would, there was a creek in the back of our house. I would, and my brothers and I, I had three brothers and all our friends, we would like be in that creek from dawn till dusk. And we would walk that creek for miles and you know meet other kids in other neighborhoods and get in fights and um, find all kinds of creatures and fish and stuff like that. And all we had to do was be back by like five o'clock for dinner, you know, and we were like six years old, eight years old. That would never happen today. You know, no. parents are so protective sports, the same thing. We do pick up baseball games, um, pick up football games. You know, we have like you know, playing tackle football and I'm sure getting injured and hurt and all that kind of stuff. But it it wasn't organized with the fancy uniforms and all the trophies and all that kind of stuff. It was just pickup, you know? And um, so I think we want to maybe inspire that spirit to get rekindled and um, like, look guys, get out and explore and try new stuff and get scared and do things that are somewhat dangerous. And uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's lawyers, insurance companies, (laughs) <laughs> to hear me say that, but that's where you learn who you are uh, it, yeah. is by exploring because you're exploring the world at the same time you're exploring yourself and the limits and you you know, what, what can you do um, when you're in a tight spot? What happens? You know, how do you respond? So I think exploration is just fundamentally so important. And um, so hopefully, you know, they'll show up with that kind of attitude uh, to do something like the Catan Trail. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I grew up, you're talking about exactly, I mean, I had three brothers, you know, I grew up on, around the creek. We were down there all day. In fact, some nights we even told our parents we were staying over at somebody else's house and we camped out on the creek. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, but yeah, the kids nowadays, I can't imagine my kids, right, ever doing that sort of stuff. What about the kids, the generation of you're talking about? And I'm not sure what the, you know, the folks who are kind of younger that are in your, you're working with you, 
But do you feel like they had that experience too, or is that something that they didn't have that they want to have? Or what's your take there on this? Because I don't know it as well as probably you do or some folks that are working with them. Yeah, they, I think that's their, um, that's their deficiency, you know, Mm, much as Gen Y and Gen Zs have going for them. You know, I've heard a lot of them say, you know, people tell me to follow my passion, you know, right. And I know that's something I need to do, but I don't know what my passion is. I don't really have a passion. Right. God. And so, and that's because they've been so protected that they haven't explored to find out, find that thing, you know, and they've kind of been slotted into, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a stockbroker, you're going to be these things that are going to make you money because money is the only thing that matters in the world. And that's the narrative that's out there. It's not that direct and that blatant, but that is the underlying narrative of everything. And so when you tell these kids, hey, you know, follow your passion, don't just follow this prescribed future. Um, They respond to it, they want to do it, but they just don't know how. And I think brands, you know, companies, people, mentors, whatever that might be, getting shoulder to shoulder with the kids and helping them on that journey to find themselves is um, a huge thing. And I think it's something that, you know, that's what we're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do is, is just kind of be the mentor and the guide that can, can help them find, and it sounds deep, but it's like, you know, explore the world and find yourself. And if you find yourself, you will be happy. Uh, if you don't, you won't. And uh, look at your parents. The divorce rate's 50%, um, you know, midlife crisis, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it's not a great example that we've set for these kids. No, it's not. No, this is great. I love it. I love that we've gone into, you know, this little part with the DIY, because I think that's something that, yeah, we should keep focusing on, um, you know, and fly fishing and really anywhere. Um, we're going to take it out here pretty quick, but again, any, any other things you want to highlight before we jump out of here as far as Bahio and what you have going or anything, you know, listeners can check out? You know, not, not really. I mean, the other product that we are focused on is our hats and we have Casey Anderson, who's uh, was a guide at Pyramid Lake and sort of started that whole deal and uh, was a tattoo artist at, and has been out of Reno, although he just moved here. And it's actually Casey and his girlfriend, Giovanna, are living with my wife and I in, in our house while they get settled. But, oh, wow. Cool. And he has come in to be our artist and he's done all these incredible drawings. I'm sitting here looking at all the new stuff on the wall and um, and we're trying to b- really bring that into everything that we do, uh, along with, you know, Jay and his school bus. And so the, the vibe that we're really trying to bring in is about creativity and it's about fun. Um, and it's about, you know, hope because so many, so many of the, I don't know, I just feel like the industry has gotten kind of old and stale and we need to revitalize it. And right. And we've gotten so like focused on conservation and the world's coming to an end and all this. I know we got to have hope. We got to have some fun. And yes, it's not, you know, if the world's going to end, the world's going to end. Let's all be responsible. (laughs) Let's help any way that we can. Let's help each other. But you know, if, if, if life is just work, um, all the time, you burn out pretty fast. What's it for? Yeah. What, what, what are we doing this for? Yeah. Let's go out and have some fun. 
I agree. We, we've done, I mean, I, we started, we've always done conservation episodes and we're doing more now, but it, I think earlier on, well, when we first got going, I always felt like it was a downer. People didn't want to hear the conservation episodes because it was always a negative message, but it feels like the, the more I talk and I just did an episode on the Klamath dams removal that's out and that's a great story. And, and my guests there talked about how, you know, some of these same things where it's not all a downer, you know, like there's some stuff we can do right now. You know what I mean? Like follow your passion again. Like, let's make a change. And Yvonne, I think, even though, do you know Yvonne a little bit? I guess you've probably talked to him a little bit, but yeah. it sounds like he's a little like, pessimistic or maybe has that person, you know, that sort of thinking, but he's doing all this great stuff. And what's your take on, on his, what would be his take on this, to this question? Like, how do we stay positive? What do you think he would say? Yeah, I think I know him. I don't know him extremely well, but yeah. um, he does kind of go back and forth and he can go into a dark place. Right. We all can, you know? Yeah. And, um, but he's, he's very serious and he has the clout to really tackle some of these big issues and these big people and institutions head on. Um, and right. I think that's a good role you need, and you need big companies who can do that. But, you know, again, I think as we get older, we tend to get more cynical, but mm. you know, if we can, um, keep a youthful mindset, at least to a certain degree, and keep the joy into it. And there are a lot of positive things. Yeah, I do a lot of work with Trout Unlimited. I've been, been mm -hmm. on the board for a long time. And I see a lot of stuff. And, I, and you know, we'll, we'll be talking about this at the board meeting out in Spokane here shortly. But, um, you know, the, if you look at the before and after pictures for projects that they've done, it's incredible. And it makes you feel so good. You know, you see some culvert that's all clogged up and, you know, the the water's all putrid looking and everything. And then you see that all the people go to work and the new culvert and the streams flowing and the fish are flowing. And then you look at, you know, the hundreds of miles of habitat that they've opened back up. I mean, it is one success story after the other. And I don't think we're telling the success stories as well as we should. Um, like when I read yep. the freaking New York Times every morning, I'm like, I know. Jesus Christ, can we have a positive headline you know i know the news is the worst the, the news is the worst it seems like i don't even watch the look you know what i mean i haven't for a while because it's always like okay here are the top five murders or whatever you know so that the whole media that's what's i think cool about podcasts is that you know it's a little bit different but the whole media has gone that way right how do you sell more and and it's it's not a good i don't think it's a good thing i think there's a lot of positive messages like you say out there that's cool so you've been involved with trout unlimited has that been for a little while how long have you been in there you know i don't know 10 or 15 years maybe a long time oh wow long time yeah and they're getting huge now and the scale that they're getting and the resources it's really exciting um yeah great news i you know i think they do need to connect more with the fishing community ironically um but I, I think they've lost their relevance a little bit, and some of the younger folks coming in don't really know what they do or uh, know about them. So, um, you know, with Bahio, hopefully we can help them connect more to that younger uh, market and um, get those kids as members and fans and stuff like that. Right on. Well, let's take it out here. I always love to get a, a business tip. We've maybe you've, you've given us a few today, but and I want to get to you know first maybe a, what would be a tip for you know we've got a lot of small brands, people that want to start you know brands out here and listening. What would be your tip for somebody there? And then for you, what does success look like with Bahio? I mean, I th it feels like you're already getting some success, but how do you know 
when you get to that point where, you know, wherever that point is? Yeah, well, success being profitable is certainly, yeah. is certainly right. one, but I think that's, you know, profit's the result and not the goal. And yeah. uh, if you are doing all the right things, all that stuff happens. So this has been a big year where we focused on getting profitable, which is great. But again, it's just kind of having the resources to do more and more around our mission. So I look forward to the day when I can just be traveling the world, building fishing trails and have somebody else running the company. That's success for me. And, uh, but you know, also just keeping everything fresh and inspiring and vital and, um, just keeping everybody inside us, um, you know, inside the company, just feeling excited and feeling fulfilled, um, with what they're doing is success. You know, I'm here in the office every day and we've really tried to create a family environment. You know, that word's overused a lot, but, you know, given everybody in the company, uh, stock options. So everybody's an owner of the company. Oh, wow. That is so important. They've never had that in their entire life. And it just creates a completely different environment. I mean, there's dogs running around here. There's, you know, kids running around. Yeah. I wear flip-flops every day. Um, nice. So, you know, keeping that environment to where it feels like home and not another alien place that you go to for eight hours a day and, and come back to home. Right. So all of that is success um, in my book. Love that. Love that. And do you have people working around the country as well, or are most of the people in, you know, kind of physically there? We do have people around the country. Um, I'm really trying to pull everybody close and it's just something that's important about everybody being in one building in terms of brainstorming, collaboration and all of that. Uh, but we do have still have a few satellite folks. Um, our CFO lives in Charleston and our product development team is in Toronto. Uh, so we have a, a few people scattered around and then our sales reps, you know, they live all over the place. And uh, so, but probably in total, we've got 65 or 70 people part of this now. Yeah. And the people that are remote, how do you bring them into the family? How do you make, is there a way you can make them feel that same thing, even though they're in Toronto? Yeah. I mean, they come and visit as often as they can. And we do a lot of, you know, weekly zoom calls with everybody. So yeah, it certainly helps. And, you know, they get their owners as well. So that really gets them engaged from that standpoint. So, uh, so yeah, it's, probably more difficult, you know, when, when they're not here, but it's, it's still, I think people just started using that word. We feel like we're part of the family and, uh, same with Elon. You know, last time Elon was here, uh, we did a shoot in New Smyrna and he's like, man, every time I come here and get together with you guys, I feel like I'm with family and, you know, Elon doesn't with anybody and never, you know, never says anything gratuitously. So that, that meant a lot that he felt that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's one of the, and we had Elon on episode 309. Uh, Elon was, it was a great episode. Uh, the black Steve Irwin, you know, you know it's, <laughs> he's, he's got the comedy thing going, but yeah, I think, right. The diversity back to that, you know, it's, and I always go back to this because the species, if you look at fish or a, really any animal, the more diverse the population, the community is, the healthier it is. And it's yeah. the same way, right. With us, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that if it's an old white guy and that's it, you know, that's not good. But if it's a diversity of, 
you know, all these different people, it's just a better place. So I think, I think you're, you're on track. Uh, you know, Al, I think this has been great today, um, with what we have, you know, what, what we've covered here. Um, we'll give a shout out, I guess, um, BahioSunglasses.com. Um, if anybody wants to check out your glasses and, and IndieFly. So you're still involved with that. If we want to check out the conservation work, should we send them there? Or do you have another place that people can kind of dig into some of the conservation stuff you have going? Yeah, there, our website, we're actually rebuilding that section of the website because things have changed a little bit. Uh, but once we launch the um, Trails app, that would be a real good place to check that out. And then we'll talk about all that on our website as well. That'll launch in a couple of weeks. But so our social platform is really where we talk to the community about all the projects that we're doing a little bit more so on the website. So definitely jump that out. Yeah, yeah, Instagram. Okay. Awesome, Al. Well, thanks for all the time today and uh, looking forward to uh, staying in touch with you and uh, yeah, digging in. Maybe I'll get a pair. I, I still, I don't have a pair of uh, Bajios, uh, so I'll, I'll hopefully get some of those and test them out. Maybe we'll circle back around with you and check in on with you next year, see how things are going. Yeah, sounds awesome, Dave. I enjoyed it, man. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com and please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. 